Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. It is really good to be with you. I'm Jim, and I serve as a pastor here and a host for the experience today. And don't you love springtime? It's springtime. Easter is just a, a week away. Baseball is just around the corner. Thanks be to God, because my NCAA bracket doesn't have a lot of hope right now. Well, let's keep moving. We're really excited about worship today. We're wrapping up a series, a six-week series. It's been awesome. Pastor Spencer will lead us through the scripture, the Gospel of Matthew, as we explore prayer, how prayer matters in our life, and especially the, how the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us to pray as we grow closer to God and each other. So look forward to that. Also, if you're new today, if it's your first time here, really glad you're here. Thanks for being here. We have a gift for you. Go to sumc.co slash hello, and we'll send a Starbucks digital gift card out to you right away. We would love to do that. Also, if you're enjoying this experience and would like to go deeper in the sermon and take a next step, go to sumc.co slash next. Thanks for doing that. And now let's hear from Stephanie, who's going to tell us more about what's going on at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Today is the beginning of Holy Week, and it will be a special time here as we prepare for Easter in many ways. Beginning Thursday, we invite you to participate in our outdoor Stations of the Cross event here on the Schweitzer campus. Beginning outside of Entrance A, the entrance to the sanctuary, you'll be guided with video narration through 10 Stations of the Cross. You can also participate this from home using your device. We invite you to come on Thursday and Friday between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., that's April 1st and 2nd, or April 3rd, which is Saturday, between 7 a.m. and noon. Bring your phone or device for the best experience. You can find out more at sumc.co stations. Next Sunday, we'll celebrate Easter together, and we would love to see you here on campus for either our 9 a.m. traditional service or our 11 a.m. modern worship service. This year, our services will be held outdoors under a big tent. And here's something important. When you arrive on Easter morning, we'd ask that you please use the entrances to the parking lot outside the Outreach Center, just west of the main church building, or east of the church building off of Meadowview Street. We're reserving the main entrance to the parking lot for handicap parking. Once you've found your way to the tent, we'll have a photo booth and many special ways to celebrate the day together through music, messages, and encouragement. If you aren't able to join us in person on campus, no problem, we'll still have our online services at 9, 10, and 11. Between the services here on campus at 10.15 a.m., our Schweitzer Kids Ministry is hosting an extravaganza at nearby Pittman Elementary where 5,000 eggs will be rolled out for kids up to age 12. One last thing, invite your family, friends, and neighbors to join you for Easter worship, either here in person or online. Grab an invitation here at the church to share with them or you can share our social media events online. Find out more at sumc.co slash Easter. Thanks so much, Stephanie. We invite you to engage today to say hello to your friends, give us your insights. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, there's a prayer button. Go ahead and access that. We would love to pray with you. And now on this Palm Sunday, 
Let's worship together. Let's celebrate God. Let's celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ as KJ leads us in worship. Why not here? Why not now? You know my body's 
Let's pray together. In our praying today, we remember that this is Palm Sunday, the Sunday where Jesus came into Jerusalem. To great, great praise, people were praising him and saying, Hosanna in the highest, meaning the one who saves, praise the one who saves. And yet our Lord also knew that he was walking into, coming into a time of betrayal, humiliation, rejection, and he stayed true to his mission. God is faithful. And so on this Palm Sunday, I offer this prayer uh, to you, to me, to our Lord, as we, uh, we pray together. Hear these words. Dear God, we thank you for sending your son and paving the way for our lives to be set free through Jesus's death on the cross. Thank you for what this day stands for, the beginning of Holy Week, the start of the journey towards the power of the cross the victory of the resurrection, and the rich truth that Jesus truly is our King of Kings. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We give you praise and honor, praise and honor for your ways are righteous and true. We give you worship for you are holy, holy and just. We will declare that your love stands firm forever, for your loving kindness endures forever. Thank you that your ways are far greater than our ways. Your thoughts are far deeper than our thoughts. Thank you that you had a plan to redeem. Thank you that you make all things new. Thank you that your face is towards the righteous and you hear 
our prayers and know our hearts. Help us to stay strong and true to you, Lord. Help us not to follow after the voices of the crowds, but to press in close to you, to hear your whispers and seek after you alone. We praise you, we bless you, Lord. Thank you that you reign supreme and we are more than conquerors through the gift of Christ. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And now as we come to this time of offering, we thank God for God's generosity, provision, and care over our lives. And we thank you for your generosity as well. We, we give back to God with, with gratitude and with obedience and trust. And your gifts, your tithes, your offerings, they make a real difference, a real difference in lives. They transform lives. For example, this past week we had our 21st graduating class for Jobs for Life, which is part of our Flourish ministry. And we are so grateful to see these lives changed. More than practical job skills the students receive, which are really important, they also receive confidence, encouragement, and hope, knowing that God is with them and a champion, a person from the congregation or the community, sits right with them through this eight-week course. And it makes a huge difference. But your gifts, your gifts are the foundation, coupled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So we really, really thank you. And Scott Warren does a great job as the leader. And so today we can continue to give by going to sumc.co slash give. Thanks for doing that. And now the choir is going to continue to lead us in worship.
Um, so Jesus needed to go somewhere, so he asked his friends to get him a donkey. And then he came in the city riding on the donkey, and then there was like a parade, everybody behind him. And they all prayed to him like, thank you for our Lord Jesus. They were shouting like, uh, like you're the best, and I still didn't have it. No. Praise thank God. God. And thank God and all of that stuff. And we'll they enjoy. got like palm trees and branches and stuff like that to celebrate and hold them up in the air. Jesus had a supper and two of his friends, Peter and another person, had a fight. Then Jesus' friends were fighting over stinky feet and then Jesus bent down all their feet. Um, he said, and he bent down and said, I either wash your feet or you won't be about around me anymore. And Jesus said, this, this is why I'm doing this because I love you. And I am washing your feet because everyone needs to be clean, but not just clean on the outside, clean on the inside. They, um, a disciple had a piece of bread um, and he, God broke it and gave a piece of bread to everybody. And he said, this is my body that will break. And he holded up um, a big a bowl of grape juice. And he said, this is my blood. And then a disciple um, had an evil plan to capture God. And he was going to sell Jesus for 30 silver so he could be crucified yes jesus went with his friends and um he started praying to his father god and um jesus fell asleep jesus's friends fell asleep he fell to the ground saying is there any other way but he knew there was no other way jesus heard claims of armor and and then the um, soldiers came, took Jesus away, and his they one took of, him to trial. Yeah, um, one of Jesus's friends chopped off the soldier's ear. Jesus uh, touched him. Yeah, right there on his ear. His ear came back. They asked him, "Are you um God's son?" And he said, "Yes." Yeah, he got arrested for loving. Him. That's all he did. Well, welcome today, friends. My name is Spencer. Today is part six of our series called As It Is in Heaven. We've been spending the last six weeks reading from the Lord's Prayer. And as we go, we've just been lifting up phrase by phrase of the Lord's Prayer, lifting up this question of what does this teach us about how to pray? Because that's really the point of the Lord's Prayer. It's not so much that we just learn a set of words. It's that Jesus is giving us this, that we can learn how to pray, put this in practice and in, in, in action in our life. And so we've been looking through what just simply what does this teach us about how to pray. Now, this is part six, means this is our last week of this series. Uh, next week is Easter. I'm so excited for Easter. I hope you're going to join us for Easter services. We'll be outside under a tent. 
Uh, we'll, we'll have uh, worship and be together. And I'm so excited for this. Last year this time, we were at home watching this online, all of us. And so I'm so excited that we can come back together for Easter. I, I hope you'll be there. I hope you'll be inviting folks to join you as well, whether that's in person or online, and uh, that we can share this good news message of Jesus' victory that we get to celebrate next week on Easter. And if this next week's Easter, that means today is Palm Sunday, when we celebrate that Jesus comes into Jerusalem, uh, that he comes in as a king, victorious. The people shout out as he's coming in, this word Hosanna, which means save us. And, and uh, they celebrate him. They take off their coats and they put it down on the road as he travels in. They take palm branches and put them down to celebrate him. And, and as he comes, of course, uh, the critics show up too. The Pharisees show up and the, and the Pharisees tell everyone to be quiet. And they tell Jesus, hey, you need to calm everyone down. That This isn't right. And I love this line that Jesus has. It's Luke chapter 19. When Jesus hears these crowds celebrating all that's going on and, and the Pharisees come and tell them to shut up. And, and Jesus looks at him. He says this. He says, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. I love that. Such a Palm Sunday kind of day that the stones will cry out, that this is a day to celebrate what God has done, what God is doing, what it is that Jesus accomplishes, that the stones will cry out. And so today, as we wrap up the Lord's Prayer, we're going to talk about glorifying God, giving honor to Him, kind of the same thing that we're reading there, that the stones will cry out, that that we are called to, to live in this kind of way as we wrap up the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to see. So the Lord's Prayer, it's in Matthew chapter 6. We're reading the same section of scripture every single week, and we're reading the whole thing that Jesus teaches about prayer, not just the words about the Lord's Prayer, because I want us to see it in context the whole time. And so Jesus starts talking about prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and here's what he says. He says, When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. And here comes the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then Jesus wraps up the section. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. So this is part six of our series. We're going to look at the last line of the Lord's Prayer where we pray for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And if you were paying attention to what we just read, you will notice that that line's not in there. So where did it go? I mean, we say that every week in the Lord's Prayer when we say it in our church, but when you read it in the Bible, it's not there. So where did it go? Well, that's a great question. Glad you asked it. Let's talk about that. In my Bible, I'm reading from the New International Version. That's what I read every week, uh, the New International Version. In my Bible, there is a little note on the end of verse 13, a little footnote. And my, my footnote says this. It says, uh, following from, from the evil one, there's this little line that says, some late manuscripts, and then it has this line, one slash, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now, the important part of this, this little note is it says, some late manuscripts. And here's what that means. Um, there is this body of scholarly work that, that people will spend their whole careers doing where, where we try to figure out what is the most accurate 
and uh, original version of the Bible. Because you see, in the New Testament, we don't have the original version of the New Testament. Like we don't, we don't have Matthew's gospel somewhere in some vault somewhere. We don't know what Matthew's penmanship looked like. We, we, we don't have that. What we have are copies of copies of copies of the New Testament writing. And, 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 and we have a ton of them a ton of them. And, and, and actually, we have more uh, copies of the New Testament writing than there really any other ancient writing. And, and that margin is not like by a little bit. Like there's a whole lot more copies of the New Testament that we have than we have anything else that's been written from the ancient world. Um, and so what scholars do is, is they will compare the different versions that they have uh, from, from one another. And, and so you compare these versions from different parts of the Greek and Roman world, and you're trying to determine what was the earliest thing that was written that Matthew would have written. Some of the versions that, that the scholars have are just like fragments of, of parchment that they have. And so it'd be a terrible job to have to try to, to compare these things, to come down to it. And what would they've concluded, scholars have concluded, is that this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, was, was not original to Jesus. It wasn't original to Matthew. Matthew didn't actually write it down. Jesus didn't actually say it. And probably what, what happened was that there was some scribe somewhere who was copying the Bible. And, and as he was copying the Bible, he probably did what I do. And he, and he took a pen and he, he wrote in the margin, which is something I do in my Bible all the time. I write in the margin and I underline things and I make little notes. And probably there was a scribe who was doing that as he was copying the Bible, because back then there was no like you know, command C, command V to copy and paste. It was, it was like you had to actually write it out word by word by hand. And so someone probably put that in little thing in the margin and who knows why they did it. Maybe they put that line for years of the kingdom, power and glory forever is just like a personal prayer. Like they were just moved to do that. Maybe that's why they did it. And, and the next person who, who had the copy of that, of that version, they, they then saw that. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, but they maybe put it into the text. And then eventually it just, it spread. And spread, and I, I I don't know why it spread, but it it would begin to spread. And my my theory, though, on, on why it would spread is that um, it sounds like it should be in the Bible, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it sounds like the Bible <laughs> as you read through the Bible. I mean, you, we're called all over the place to to give glory to God. So while Jesus didn't say it, and Matthew didn't actually write it, and and, and it showed up actually very early. This little line showed up very early. It just, it sounds like it should be in the Bible. I mean, I think about things you read in the Bible, about giving glory to God, and we come across things like 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That sounds a lot like this line. Or I think about Matthew 5, Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Or Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Or Psalm 86, I praise you. Lord my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. I just, I just, I think maybe it's in the Bible because it just sounds like it should be because there is just time after time after time in the scripture where we are told to give glory to God. And so it makes sense that there would be this line, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever that shows up because it just, it sounds like the scripture. In fact, Christian teaching has always held that this is really what life is about, is life is about giving glory to God. That's like the point of life is that we would give glory to God. In fact, in the 1600s, there was this really famous way of saying this. There was this um, curriculum created, it was called the Westminster Catechism, and, and the Westminster Catechism was, was meant for new Christians to learn about what it meant to follow Jesus. And, and it was a really interesting kind of format that they wrote this in, and it was a question and answer kind of format. So someone would ask a question, and the new Christian would learn the faith by learning the answer to that question. And the very first question that new Christians were, were, learned, were, were taught in this, um, in this Westminster Catechism was this, what is the chief end of man? 
chief end of it. What is life all about? When you boil life down to what it's really about, what is, what is life really about? And there's all kinds of ways that we can answer that, isn't there? Life is about happiness. It's about joy. Life, life is about relationships. You know, life can be about all kinds of things. In modern America, we might say that life is about self-fulfillment because if you look at our culture, our culture is, is really about self-fulfillment and, and it's being true to ourselves. And if we're true to ourselves, that's like the, the truest version of us. And that's what life is really about. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that you can answer this question. What is the chief end of man? What is the, what is the purpose of our life? But what the Christians were taught in, in the 1600s with this Westminster Catechism was, was this, that the chief end of man, here's the answer, is that you glorify God and you enjoy Him forever. You glorify God. That's what life is about. If you boil it down to what it's really about, it's not about happiness. The point of life is not about joy. It's not about relation. It's about, it's about giving glory to God. It's not even about my personal self-fulfillment. The purpose of life is that we might glorify God. I mean, this has been Christian teaching for forever, is that, is that we might glorify God, which I, you know, raises other questions as well. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does it mean to give glory to God? What, is that, what are we talking about when we say that? I mean, if we're going to pray this in the Lord's Prayer and we're going to say that this is the chief end of humanity, like what does it mean that we would give glory to God? And to answer that, a way to, a way to think about this is to think about the words that we use for, for glory. Um, in the New Testament, remember the New Testament is not written in English, it's written in Greek. And in the New Testament, the Greek word that we've translated for glory is the word doxa. It's where we get words like doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, the song that we sing to give honor and glory to God. Because one of the things that you do when you praise God is, is you are giving glory to him. In, in the Old Testament, the word that we've translated as glory is a Hebrew word, and it's, it's kabod. And um, kabod literally means uh, heavy, weighty. It, it literally means like something that weighs a lot. That's what the word literally means because, because it, it's, it, the idea is that it's something of importance. And if something is of importance, it's, it's weighty and, it, and it, weighs, it weighs on you. And so this is the, the, the Hebrew idea of the word uh, glory. And, and I, what I love about this word kabod in, in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is that it's usually translated, yes, as glory, but sometimes it's translated differently. And let me give you a few examples of how else this word kabod is translated in the Old Testament. This is um, a few examples here. Here's Psalm 22. Psalm 22 says, You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor Him. Honor, kabod, honor. That's the word there. Here's another example, Psalm 50. Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Kabod, there's that word again. Psalm 95, 91 verse 15 says, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Kabod. I wanted to read you three examples here of just the word honor because oftentimes in the Old Testament, this word kabod, which is glory, is also translated as honor. And, and to me, that's a really helpful little detail in understanding what does it mean to glorify God? Because sometimes for, for whatever reason, that word glorify to me, it, it's really churchy. I, it, it's how it happens when, I, when I'm with the church and we sing worship songs or it's maybe what happens kind of spiritually inside me. But, but the idea of honor is a little bit more real life because, because honor is what shows up in like real decisions that I make with my life of what, what is it that's, that's really important? What is it that's really weighty? It's, it's the real decisions that I make in my real life with real choices that I have of, of what is it that I'm going to choose to put first? What am I going to say is most important? What am I going to, what am I going to say when, when, when push comes to shove? What, what do I choose? That's the question of, of honor. What do I honor? Let me give you a, a good example of this. And I, this example 
I'm about to offer you I, is, uh, is an extreme example. I, I know it's an extreme example, but I just, I love this example. So I want to offer you this. Um, and let me tell you my, my favorite sports story. And this is one of my favorite stories, period. And I can't believe I've been your pastor for almost two years and I've never told you the story because I love it so much. But let's go to the Olympics, 1924 Olympics. They're my favorite, favorite sports stories. Um, 1924 Olympics, that year they're in Paris, and uh, there is one of the stars of that Olympic Games is a, is a British sprinter named Eric Little. And uh, Eric Little will, will uh, make the news, of course, throughout this. He's one of, the, one of the big stars. But what's really fascinating about Eric Little, he's, he's a devoted Christian, an inspiring person. And really his life after the Olympics is, is more inspiring than even his, what he does at the Olympics. Because after the Olympics, Eric Little will walk away from athletics and sports altogether. And he's going to become a missionary in China. And he's going to spend the rest of his life as a missionary in China because uh, he'll stay there until World War II breaks out. And when the Japan uh, invades China, he'll be taken as a, as a prisoner of war. And he'll spend the rest of his life in a prisoner of war camp. And, and right before the war is over, I mean, he just, he almost makes it through. He'll be killed because of his faith. And he's been sharing the gospel in this prisoner of war camp. And just an incredible Incredibly, incredibly inspiring person. But in 1924, he's a young man. He's at the Olympic Games, and he's one of the favorites uh, for the for the British, for the, for the world, one of the stars that you have. And and he he comes into the Olympic Games favored to win the hundred meter dash. And and Eric Little's story is it's so inspiring that in 1981, this might sound familiar too, it becomes a movie. It's called Chariots of Fires. But that was 40 years ago. So if you haven't seen that movie in 40 years, this is the story. He he comes in uh, favored to win the hundred meter dash. But a few months before the Olympic Games are, are, are held, the, the schedule is announced. And it's told that the qualifying rounds of the 100 are going to be held on a Sunday. Eric Little's a devoted Christian. And that kind of thing is, doesn't even enter his mind that he could possibly run on a Sunday because the Sunday is the Sabbath. It's the day that for the Lord and not for work. And, and so he has this conviction that he, he shouldn't run on that Sunday. Now, of course, we can debate as Christians, you know, what, what is our relationship with the Sabbath and, and should we do those kinds of things? But for Eric Little, this was his conviction and therefore it was wrong for him. So he, he had this conviction that it was wrong. But on the other hand, he had this goal that he had been working for for years. And he, he had this gift of, of, of running and speed and of his athleticism. He used to say that when he ran, he felt the Lord's pleasure, which is such a cool idea that when he uses his gifts, like he feels like he's honoring God, but now he has this choice. Like, does he, does he go with what he's worked for all these years or does he follow his conviction of what he feels like God is calling him to do? And, and so what I find so inspiring about Eric Little's story is it's the question of honor. It's the question of, Will I choose to honor the Lord when push comes to shove? Like when it's hard, when there's competing pressures and, and there's going to be something that it costs, like will I still be choosing to honor the Lord? Because that's really the question of, of honor, of what's important and what's weighty in my life is what do I do when push comes to shove? What do I do when there's something that costs me in order to still follow and be obedient to what God has for my life. That is the question of, of honor. And so what would you do? You know, if you're favored to win the Olympic Games, if you have this choice in front of you, what would you do? Well, here's Eric Little. He's got this conviction. He's also got all of this pressure coming at him from his coach, his teammates, his countrymen. The press are writing articles about him, calling him to do the right thing, which in their in 
since is to run and to represent the, the British. And, and so what would you do? You've got all this pressure coming at you and yet you have this conviction at the same time. You've got this thing that you worked for and yet you still have this thing that, that you feel like God is calling you to do. What would you do? Well, Eric Little declines to run. He declines to run. He's the favorite in the world. He declines to run. And instead, he tries to, to go at a longer distance, the 400 meters, which is a full lap around. He hasn't trained for it. He doesn't have the stamina for it. But somehow, against all odds, he advances through the rounds and he finds himself in the Olympic finals. It's an impossible kind of thing. He's in lane eight, which is the worst lane because he's the slowest person into the Olympic finals. And as he's going to the start line, an American competitor walks over to him and hands him a note. And the note is a Bible verse on it. And the Bible verse is first, it's from 1 Samuel. And the Bible verse simply says this, those who honor me, Kabad, I will honor. Those who put me first, those who hold me in importance, those who hold me to be the weighty thing in their life. That's what the word means, Kabad. Those who glorify me, God will honor. And so he takes this little note, he puts it in his shoe, and uh, he does the impossible. And so here's a picture of him winning the Olympic final and setting a world record that lasts for 12 years. I love the story of Eric Little. It's so incredibly inspiring. And I know it's an extreme example of honoring God when it would have been easier not to. And, and, and I know that, you know, in your life, you're not going to have to make a choice between which Olympic race that you, you have to run. I, I, say, I say you won't. Maybe you probably won't. I don't know everyone who's watching this, but probably you're not going to have to make a choice between which Olympic race you have to run. But, but you will have to make lots of choices on a daily basis of are you going to honor God when, it would be, when it's easier not to? That's the same choice that Eric Little had to make. It's the choice that you and I have to make on a regular basis. Are you gonna choose to honor God when it would be easier not to? Will you choose to honor God when there's a path of least resistance? Will you choose to honor God when there's pressure from other people calling you not to? Will you, will you choose to honor God when there's all kinds of reasons not to because you've had other goals or other ambitions and yet the Lord calls you to honor Him? Will you choose to honor God when push comes to shove. This is the question of glorifying God. This is the question of honoring Him. This is the question of putting Him first, no matter what. Will you choose to be obedient even when it costs you? This is the question of honor. And so in the Lord's Prayer, we have this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as you think about this, this line, this, this line is begging a choice of us. It's begging the choice of will you choose to put God first or will instead you live for your own kingdom, your own power, your own glory? Will you choose to live for his kingdom, power, and glory or your own kingdom and power and glory? Because left to our own devices, we don't just like drift in to putting God first. We don't drift towards living for his kingdom and power and glory. No, 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 no. Left to our own devices, we drift to putting our own kingdom, power, and glory first. We drift to our own ambitions, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own self-fulfillment. That's what we end up putting first. But this line from the Lord's Prayer, it's calling us to make a choice of, of what are you going to put first? What is it that's going to hold the weight in your life? What is it that's going to be the most important? And you can really tell what those things are when it's difficult, when, when there's challenge, and when it costs you something to put God's kingdom, power, and glory first.
And so now we're also learning a little bit about, about what this teaches about how to pray, which is really the question that we've asked in every single one of these messages. What does this teach us about how to pray? And I love that in the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer starts and stops with this acknowledgement of the greatness of God. Starts off, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's put you first. Let's, let's honor you and hallow, uh, hold you to be holy and in and, and, and your proper place. And then it ends with this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. For, for you belongs my life. That's really what that line means. To you belongs my life. To you belongs every part of my life. And the Lord's Prayer begins and it ends with this acknowledgement of the Lord and what, he, what belongs to him um, in, in our life. And I think it's so important that the Lord's Prayer begins and ends like this. Because as you go through the Lord's Prayer, you start to get to these things that really we need God to do. You think about it, like we're praying for his will to be done. We're praying for, uh, for daily bread, for forgiveness, for protection from the evil one. And yet at the beginning and the end, we are, we are pausing to acknowledge who God is and how great he is and where he belongs in our life, that life isn't about us, that it's really about him and his purposes. That's, that's really what this this bracketing of the Lord's Prayer teaches us that it begins and ends with, with Him. And, and I think that's such an important correction because sometimes, sometimes prayer becomes about what we get out of it. Prayer, prayer becomes about how God answers our needs and how God comes through for us or what, what we need God to do. And, and, and if prayer, though, is about anything, prayer, prayer is not primarily about getting your prayers answered. Prayer is not primarily about, about having God answer all the things that you bring before him. That's not really the point of prayer. Really the point of prayer is that our lives would come into an alignment with the Father who loves us. The one who gave his life for us, gave his one and only son for us. That's really what the point of prayer is, is that we would come in alignment with his will. That, that we would come before him and that we would say that, that to him belongs everything that we are. That it's not just about us getting our needs met, it's, it's also about us surrendering our life to Him. Our time to Him, our ambitions to Him, our hopes to Him, our bodies, our minds, our thoughts, our relationships, everything belongs to Him. For to Him belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory, not to us. We're, we're rephrasing this to acknowledge His goodness, His greatness, His power, and everything that is His, which is not actually ours. And so in my, in my daily prayers, one of the things I, I, I make time for is I make time to acknowledge the greatness of God in my life. I, 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 I make time to acknowledge who He is and to honor Him and glorify Him and to, to give thanks for the things that God has done, to praise Him for what He's done in my life, especially lately, and to try to name those things, be specific in those things, because, because otherwise sometimes prayer becomes almost like a shopping list or a to-do list where you just start checking off all the things that you need God to do, but that's not really the, the purpose of why we pray. We wanna find ourselves in alignment with Him. And as we pray this line, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, what we're really doing is we're saying, Lord, to you belongs my life and I will honor you and put you first in everything. I will put you first in all of my choices, in all of my relationships, in all of my time, with my body, my mind, and everything that is yours. And I will do this even when it costs me something. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, because here's the truth. Either your life can be about God's kingdom, power, and glory, or your life can be about your own kingdom, power, and glory but it can't be about both. 
And so we're called to align ourselves to God's will, to live ourselves, our lives for his honor, for his purpose for us, that he might be glorified and honored through us. And so today as we close, and we close out this series, we're gonna pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us and to join our voices together and to offer him our entire lives because to him belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Thanks everybody for being here today. We appreciate you. Also, Stephanie, thanks for keeping us connected. KJ and Choir for leading us in worship. Spencer, thanks so much for that awesome message on God's glory and honor. And if you know anybody that could use an encouraging word to hear about God's goodness and God's faithfulness, how great and awesome God is, share this message. Please do that. Also, next weekend, next Sunday is Easter. We want to be with you. We want to see you either in person. We'll have two worship experiences here on the parking lot under the tent at 9 and 11. Also, we'll be online. But most of all, we want to spend Easter with you. So be here next Sunday. God is good. It's going to be amazing. See you then.